Well, if you've got a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn to Psalm 46. Psalm 46, you'll find it on page 471. In Britain, we say Psalms, you say Psalms. Um, So you'll just have to work with me this evening. Psalm 46, page 471. As you're turning there, let me say just once again, what a great joy it is to be with you. I'm here with my wife, Marina, and our two little ones, Theo and Ellie. We've just loved our week with our friend Hannah here earlier. She's gone back to London. And I want you to know I bring the greetings of London City Presbyterian Church with me and the greetings of my brother Neil and his wife Gillian and the kids. We are just indebted to you as a church for your love, for your prayers, for your generosity. And I consider it a great honor to to be able to bring God's word this evening. Let me read from God's word, Psalm 46, to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The word of the Lord. Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight this evening. And we pray in the name of our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Not long ago, a colleague of mine went to the theater with his wife to see that very well-known musical production, Singing in the Rain. You may have seen it on the stage. You may have watched the 1950s film uh, by Gene Kelly. And if you have, you'll know that the high point is the very end of of the production, when they're singing in the rain around the lamppost with the umbrellas. And if, you're, if you have the privilege of seeing it on stage, one of the thrills is sitting in the front three rows because you get soaking wet <laughs> as you join and sing with them. I'm singing in the rain. And my friend who went to see at the theater spoke of just how incredible an experience it was. The whole auditorium was enthusiastically, passionately singing. I'm singing in the rain. 
What a glorious feeling. I'm happy again. People were swaying. People were clapping. And he was getting soaking wet. He said it was incredible. He did not want it to stop. But then the curtains closed. The lights came on and the auditorium had to empty. And as he made his way out with all the other guests, he was struck that as they opened the front doors of the theater, there was a real downpour of rain. And ironically, he he noticed that no one was singing. (laughs) No one was swaying. No one was clapping their hands. Everybody was just frantically trying to make their way into their cabs or their cars or into the tube station. And And he said this line, it's one thing to sing, I'm singing in the rain in the theater, but it's quite another thing to sing the song in real life with real rain. And as he said that, I thought, that's a perfect picture of so many of us as Christians. We come, to, we come to church every Lord's Day, and we sing our worship songs passionately and enthusiastically. But when the storms of life come, are we singing? Are we s- silent? Are we shaken? Our psalter are songs that are divinely designed by God so that we can sing them not just in worship services but in all times and in all places. In fact, they're divinely designed so that we can sing them in the most difficult of times. We may be shaking, but we should be singing as God's people. Our songs are made for the rainy days. And we find ourselves living in days where our world is shaken. It was one thing for there to be a war in Europe between Russia and Ukraine. It's now another thing for there to be a war in the Middle East between Israel and Palestine. And no one knows where this one's headed. Will this be the one that leads us to World War III? I don't know. But what I do know is that when Martin Luther was in the peak of the Reformation, He had a favorite song, and it was Psalm 46. And he used to say to Philip Melanthem, Come, let us sing the 46th Psalm, and let the devil do his worst. And so tonight, if there was ever a time for us to be singing this song, studying this song, now is the time. Three stanzas to this psalm, three headings for this psalm. God's protection, verses 1 to 3. God's presence, verses 4 to 7. God's power, verses 8 to 11. God's protection, God's presence, God's power. I'm sure it's struck you before that you can open nearly any psalm in the Psalter, and they all have different beginnings, but many of them begin with the psalmist predicament. Lord, I'm in trouble. Lord, I need your help. Not so with this psalm. This psalm begins with the psalmist with his gaze upon his God. His circumstances, his situation might be overwhelming, but for the psalmist here, he gazes at his God and remembers that his God is his refuge. The word refuge means a place of safety and shelter and security, a place of protection. Tonight, Many Ukrainians will make their way to the metro stations and to the bomb shelters 
And so too will many of the citizens living in the Gaza Strip, looking for peace, security, and shelter from the bombs and bullets of war. And the striking thing is, as God's people, this song begins with this glorious invitation for us, not to run to a place, but to run to a person. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the greatest preacher that London produced in the 19th century, every time he read a psalm, he knew that this psalm was always about Jesus. We run to the person of Jesus because he is our refuge, our refuge from the wrath of Almighty God. He is our eternal, permanent place of security and safety. Jesus is, as Martin Luther would have it, our mighty fortress. The psalmist then adds, God's not only our refuge, but he's also our strength. You see, when the difficult days come, when the troubled times come, we all know what happens. Our strength is sapped. We feel weak. But the psalmist reminds us, as we sing this song, God is our strength. The Apostle Paul prayed that the Lord would take from him his thorn in the flesh. But remember what was the response. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. When we are weak, then God is strong. We can do all things with Christ who gives us strength. But God's not only our refuge and our strength, the psalmist adds, he is our ever-present help. And I just love that, especially in the original. It has the idea that whatever, whenever, God is ever-present to help us. Sometimes we find ourselves in challenging circumstances and we wonder to ourselves, where is God in all of this? He's there. He's right with you. He is ever-present to help you. You don't need to book an appointment. You don't need to send an email to a secretary. He is there to help you. Now, our feelings sometimes make it feel like God is not there. He's distant, and you'll find that all over the Psalms. But here's the reality. Our feelings are not good gauges of the truth, but God's Word is the perfect gauge for truth. God is our refuge and our strength and our ever-present help. Now, when you turn to God for His care, and his commitment. Look at the consequence, verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear. Don't you just love the psalmist here? He presents before us the audacious logic of faith. Since God is refuge, strength, ever-present help, so then you need not fear. In other words, there's a cause and effect relationship because of who God is, that impacts our lives and our living. Because Christ is our mighty fortress, we do not need to be afraid. Now, I know that even as I say this, all of us have hearts that would doubt this. And so just to drive home the point, the psalmist drives it home by showing us the magnitude of God's protection. You see, the the picture he paints is, Imagine the earth giving way. Imagine the mountains falling into the sea. Imagine the waters roaring and foaming. 
It is a picture of complete chaos. It's cosmic upheaval. Dare I say it, it might even be a description that is hellish. But the psalmist wants us to know this. When the whole universe is falling apart, the logic of faith is, if we don't need to fear in that situation, because we're safe and secure in Christ, then in your personal troubles, in my personal troubles, we need not be afraid. You see, the reasoned estimation of a Christian is our God is greater. If our God is for us, then who can and what can be against us? In World War II in, in, in London, the most famous minister was Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a minister of Westminster Chapel. And in 1939, the Germans started dropping their bombs on London. And he refused to stop having services. He insisted that he will go on preaching for anyone who'll come. One occasion, he was in his pastoral prayer, and a bomb fell in the building next door. And in Westminster Chapel, the plaster on the ceiling started to fall down. In fact, it, it fell in his gown. And it said that he paused for a moment, and then he continued praying. There was a soldier in the congregation that day, and he said he'd never seen such courage, even in the trenches. There was a lady who said, who attended Westminster Chapel during the World War II, who said she was more impacted by the sermons of Martin Lloyd-Jones than she was by the bombs that destroyed her home and her city and her country. Why do you think that the Covenanters could stand on the scaffold? Because they knew God was their refuge, their strength, their ever-present help, and therefore there is no need to fear. Let me give you a more contemporary illustration. Two years ago on the Gospel Coalition website, a Ukrainian pastor wrote this, how should the church respond when there is a war? I'm convinced if the church is not relevant at a time of crisis, then it's not relevant in a time of peace. So, this pastor wrote, we've decided to stay. When this war is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians have responded in their time of need. Now, we in the church might not fight like the nation. We still believe we've a role to play in this struggle. We will shelter the weak. We'll serve the suffering. We'll mend the broken. And as we do so, we'll offer the unshakable hope of Christ and his gospel. While we may feel helpless in the face of such a crisis, as we stay, as we pray for the church in Ukraine, we'll faithfully trust the Lord and serve our neighbors. Here's the connection. Trust in our God not, impact, not only impacts our lives, but the lives of those around us. Point number one, God is our protection. Well, fascinatingly, we get to verses f uh, four onwards, and we discover that the, the image of water, which was once menacing, is now this sweet and serene image. The rivers of God make glad the city of our God. And it's really striking that the city of our God refers to Jerusalem. We know Jerusalem's a city set on a hill. We actually know that Jerusalem doesn't have a river running through it. So what can the psalmist mean that there's a river that runs in the city of God? 
Well, he's inviting us to look backwards to the original creation. You see, Garden of Eden had a river running through it. And the Garden of Eden was the temple of God because God's presence dwelt with his people. And then you get Ezekiel chapter 47 and you get to Revelation chapter 22. And what you discover is this. There is a river that flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city and on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kind of fruits yielding its fruit for each month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. Do you know what the river here is a picture of? The presence of God. The life-giving presence of God. What makes the city of God so special is that God dwells within the midst of, our people, of his people. And God in the midst of her delights for his presence to be life-giving. We've sung about it already this evening in Psalm 16. In the presence of God, there is the fullness of joy. In his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 21 verse 6, God make us glad with your presence. In the scriptures, the presence of God is always associated with joy. And so I need to ask you and myself this question this evening. Do you enjoy being a Christian? And, and listen, I'm not asking do you enjoy Christian activities because sometimes they can be difficult, sometimes they can be dull, sometimes they can be discouraging. I'm asking you, do you enjoy being in Christ? Christ's presence to us this evening is life-giving, joy-filling. Christ with us should be our deepest delight and our highest pleasure. And you might be here this evening and you're not yet a Christian. And it would be remiss of me not to challenge you. I know that for me, growing up, I thought God was the ultimate killjoy. I was like the prodigal son who thought I could have pleasures if I just leave the father and run off to the faraway land only to discover that the search for joy and meaning was so elusive. But when I returned to the Father, not only did he clothe me with the righteousness of his Son, not only did he call me his Son, but he threw a party so that I could experience the joy of his salvation. So we've thought about the protection of God. We've thought about the presence of God very quickly. Let's think about the power of God. Both this morning and then again this evening, we're reminded that when does God help his people? When does God's help come? Well, Psalm 46 says, when the morning dawns. Do you know that every single morning as you wake up, as the sun rises, so too do God's mercies come afresh to you. Great is his faithfulness. Morning by morning, his mercies are new. It's fascinating. Read the Old Testament, Exodus, the great work of redemption. When did God complete it? When did God conquer Israel's enemies, the Egyptians, in the Red Sea? What time of day did it happen? At the morning. When did Christ emerge triumphant from the grave? See what a morning! When will the new creation dawn? I don't know, but I suspect it will be in the morning. <laughs> and how will God usher in his new kingdom? How will our mighty God usher in his new kingdom? 
Well, the psalmist here describes God as the Lord of hosts, meaning he's the commander of angel armies. How will God bring in the new creation? He will speak. He will utter a word. And the nations that rage and the kingdoms that totter, he will bring them to an end. By a word, he will make all wars to cease. By a word, he will shatter the weapons of warfare. Nuclear bombs, aircraft, AK-47s, with a word, he will bring them all to an end. And he won't just do that. He'll right every wrong. He'll wipe every tear-stained eye. And you know the river that runs from the throne of God? It will heal the nations, redeemed in Christ. The most fascinating thing about this psalm is the way it ends. From verse 1 through 9, it's the psalmist reflecting in God's protection, God's presence, and God's power. And then comes verse 10, and God speaks. And that begs the question, what does God want you and I to know? Be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted among the nations and he will have the glory for himself. When our world is shaking, we can be still and know that he's God. When our world is silent, we can leave here singing singing this new song of salvation. And know this, God will do all things for his glory's sake. God is so committed to his own glory. And that means, brother and sister, we can know he is so committed to our good. He would rob himself of glory and honor if he does not take us to the new creation because that's what he's promised in Jesus to do. So let's long for the morning to dawn and for the new day to come. And let's be found singing, even if it's raining. Let's pray. God, seal these truths to our hearts, to our heads, and may our lips and our lives proclaim the truths that you've given us. We ask it in Jesus. Amen.